0: Section 27 of The Art of Music, Volume 2, Classicism and Romanticism. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Adrian Stevens. The Art of Music, Volume 2, Classicism and Romanticism. By the National Society of Music. Romantic Opera, and the development of choral song, part two. 3. As we have seen in an earlier chapter, the opéra comique had developed after bois into a new type, of which Aubé, Hérald, Alevi and Adam were the principal exponents. These were the men who prepared the way for the new lyric drama, which grew out of the opéra comique for the Romantic Opera of Gounod and Thomas. The Romantic movement in French literature had, we may recall, received its impulse by Victor Hugo, whose Hernani appeared in 1829. Its influence on French music was most powerful from 1840 on. Composers of all schools yielded to it in one way or another, from Berlioz, who followed the ideals of Gluck, to L'Revy, whose Jagarita Landien pictures romance in the tropics. The direct result of this influence of literary romanticism was the creation of the drame lyrique, yet it must not be thought that Thomas and Gounod deliberately created the drame lyrique as a distinct operatic form. Aubert and others of his school had already produced operas which may justly lay claim to the titles of lyric dramas, and the earlier works of both Thomas and Gounod themselves were light in character. In fact, Thomas La Double Echelle and Le Parouquier de la Richesse are operas comiques of the accepted type, and Le Caid has received the somewhat doubtful compliment of being considered a precursor of the Offenbach. Torrent of opera bouffe. In Gounod's Medecin Malègre Louis, wherein he anticipated Richard Strauss and Wolf Ferrari in choosing a Moliere comedy for operatic treatment, the composer achieved a success. Yet this opera, as well as that charming modernization of a classic legend, Philemon et Bossis, both adhere strictly to the conventional lines of opera comique. Gounod's Faust remains the epochal work of his career. His Sappho, 1851, never achieved popularity, but is of interest because it foreshadows his later style in its departure from tradition. In the final scene, he struck a note of sensuous melancholy new to French opera. Adam, in his capacity as a music critic even claimed that in Sappho, Gounod was trying to revive Gluck's system of musical declamation. In March 1859, the first performance of Faust took place at the Théâtre Lyrique in Paris. In a manner, it represents the ideal combination of the brilliant, fancy, dreamy mysticism and picturesque description that is the stuff of which Romanticism is made. Goethe's masterpiece, which had already been used operatically by Spohr, and to mention a few among many, had also inspired Schumann, Berlioz, Liszt and Wagner, achieved as great a success in the land of Goethe as it did in France. It was well received at its debut by the critics of the day, but its success in Paris was gradual, notwithstanding the fact that the Revue des Deux spoke of... The sustained distinction of style, the perfect good taste shown in every least detail of the long score, the colour, supreme elegance, and discreet sobriety of instrumentation, which reveal the hand of a master. But it must be remembered that, at the time of its production, Rossini and Meyerbeer were still regarded as the very incarnation of music. Gounod's own style was essentially French. Yet, he had studied Mendelssohn and Schumann, and the charm of the poetic sentimentality that pervaded his music was novel in French composition. For several decades, Faust remained the recognized type of modern French opera, of the drame lyrique, embodying the poesy of an entire generation. The dictum, sensuous but not sensual, which applies in general to all Gounod's work, is especially appropriate to Faust. It shows that its best is lyric genius, his ability to produce powerful effects without effort, and that languorous seduction which has been deprecated as an enervating influence in French dramatic art. In spite of elements unsympathetic to the modern musician, Faust, taken as a whole, is a work of a high order of beauty, shaped by the hand of a master. Every page of the music tells of a striving after a lofty ideal. In Faust, Gounod's work as creator culminates. His remaining operas repeat, more or less, the ideas of his masterpiece. The four-act Reine de Saba, given in England under the name of Irene, contains noble pages, but was unsuccessful. Neither did Mirel, 1864, founded on a libretto by the Provencal poet Mistral, nor Colombe, a light-to-act operetta, win popular favour. Romeo et Juliette, 1867, ranks as his second-best opera. The composer himself enigmatically expressed his opinion of the relative values of the two operas in the words, Faust is the oldest, but I was younger. Romeo is the youngest, but I was older. Romeo et Juliet was an instant success in Paris and was eventually transferred to the repertory of the grand opera, after having, for some time, formed part of that of the opera comique. Gounod's last operas, Cinq Mars, and Le Tribut de Zamora, which is in the style of Meyerbeer, were alike unsuccessful. Gounod struck a strong personal note, and he may well be considered the strongest artistic influence in French music up to the death of Cesar Franck. His art is eclectic, a curious mixture of naive and refined sincerity, of real and assumed tenderness, of voluptuousness and worldly mysticism, and profound religious sentiment. The influence of Faust was at once apparent, and its new and fascinating idiom was soon taken up by other composers, who responded to its romantic appeal. Among these was Charles-Louis Ambroise Thomas, 1811 to 1896, who had already produced five ambitious operas, with varying success, before the appearance of Faust. But Mignon, 1866, is the opera in which, after Faust, the transition from the opera comique to the romantic poetry of the lyric drama is most marked. Gounod's influence acted on Thomas like a charm. Mignon is an opera of great dramatic truth and beauty, one which, according to Hanslick, is the work of a sensitive and refined artist, characterised by rare knowledge of stage effects, skill in orchestral treatment, and purity of style and sentiment. Like Gounod, Thomas had chosen a subject by Goethe on which to write the opera, which was to raise him among the foremost operatic composers of his day. Madame Galti marie the creator of the title role, had modelled her conception of the part of the poor orphan girl upon the well-known picture by Harry Scheffer, and Mignon at once captivated the public and remained one of the most popular operas of the second half of the 19th century. Again, like Gounod, Thomas turned to Shakespeare after having set Goth. His Hamlet, 1868, was successful in Paris for a long time, and though the music cannot match its subject, it contains some of the composer's best work. The vocal parts are richly ornamented. The poetically conceived part of Ophelia is a coloratura role, such as modern opera, with the possible exception of Dalib's Lacmé, has not produced, and the ballet music is brilliant. François de Remini 1882, and the ballet La Tempête were his last and least popular dramatic works. Leo de Lieb, 1836 to 1891, a pupil of Adam, is widely known by his charming ballets. The ballet, which had played so important a part in 18th century opera, was quite as popular in the 19th century. If Vestris, the god of dance, had passed with the passing of the Bourbon monarchy, there were Taglioni who danced the Tyrolienne in William oui, Tell and the Pas de Fascination in Meyerbeer's Robert le Diable, Fanny Esler and Carlotta Grisi, full of grace and gentility, to give luster to the art of dancing. The ballet, as an individual entertainment, apart from opera, was popular during the greater part of the 19th century and was brought to a high perfection, best typified, by the famous Giselle, written for Carlotta Grisi, on subject taken from Heinrich Heine, arranged by Théophile Gautier and set to music by Adam. To this kind of composition, Delibes contributed music of unusual charm and distinction. La Source shows a wealth of ravishing melody and made such an impression that the composer was asked to write a divertissement, the famous Pas des Fleurs, to be introduced in the ballet La Corsaire by his old master Adam for its revival in 1867. His Capillia ballet, written to accompany a pretty comedy of the same name, and the grand mythological ballet Sylvia are considered his best and established his superiority as a composer of artistic dance music. The music of Dalib's operas is unfailingly tender and graceful, and his scores remain charming specimens of the lyric style. Le Roi Ladis, 1873, is a dainty little work upon an old French subject, as graceful and fragile as a piece of Sevres porcelain. Jean de Nivelle has passed from the operatic repertory, but Lacmé is a work of exquisite charm its music dreamy and sensuous as befits its oriental subject and full of local colour. In Lacme and the unfinished cassea Delib shows an awakening to the possibilities of oriental colour. Ernest Reyes, eighteen twenty three to nineteen oh nine, Salambo is in the same direction, but it is Felician David. 1810 to 1876, who must be credited with first drawing attention to Eastern subjects as being admirably adapted to operatic treatment. He was a pupil of Cherubini, Raber, and Fetis, and he was, for a time, associated with the activity of the Saint-Simonian socialists. Later, he made a tour of the Orient from 1833 to 1835. Then, Returning to Paris with an imagination powerfully stimulated by his long stay in the East, he set himself to express the spirit of the Orient in music. The first performance of his symphonic ode, Le Désert, 1844, made him suddenly famous. It was followed by the operas Christophe Colombe, Eden, and Le Peur du Prohessy, which was brilliantly successful. Another great operatic triumph was the delightful La Rooq, which had a run of 100 nights from May in less than a year, 1862 to 1863. At a time when the works of Berlioz were still unappreciated by the majority of people, David succeeded in making the public take an interest in music of a picturesque and descriptive kind. And in this connection may be considered one of the pioneers of the French drame lyrique. Le Désert founded the school which counts not only Lacme and Salambo, but also Massenet's Le Roi de Larrault and many others among its representatives. No French composer responded more delightfully to the Orientalism of David than Georges Bizet, 1838-1875, in his earlier works. His Pêcheur de Pearl, 1863, tells the loves of two Singalese pearlfishers for the priestess Lila, but it had a short run, though its dreamy melodies are enchanting. Several of its forceful dramatic scenes foreshadow the power and variety of Carmen. His second opera, La Jolie Fille de Perth, 1867 a tuneful and effective work was based upon one of sir walter scott's novels but in Jamile, 1872 his third opera he returned to an eastern subject this was the most original effort he had thus far made and it was thought so advanced at the time of its production that accusations of wagnerism at that time anything but praise in paris were hurled at the composer. He was more fortunate in the incidental music he wrote for Alphonse Daudet's drama La Lécienne, which is still a favourite in the concert hall. It has been said that the quality of Bizet's operatic work, like that of Gluck, depended in a measure on the value of his book. He was indeed fortunate in the libretto of Carmen. Adapted from Prosper Merime's celebrated study of Spanish gypsy character by Mélac and Ludovic Alevi, the best librettists of their day. The dramatic element in the story, as written, was hidden by much descriptive analysis. But, by discarding this, the authors produced one of the most famous libretti in the whole range of opera. Carmen was brought out at the Opera Comique, in 1875, Bizet's occasional use of the Wagnerian leading motive was perhaps responsible for some of the coldness with which the work was originally received. Its passionate force was dubbed brutality, though we now know that it is a most fine artistic feeling which makes the score of Carmen what it is. Carmen was to Bizet what Der Freuschutz was to Weber. It represents the absolute harmony of the composer with his work. In modern opera of real artistic importance, it is the perfect model of the lyric song-play type, and as such it has exercised a great influence on dramatic music. It is, in every way, a masterpiece. The libretto is admirably concise and well-balanced the music full of a lasting vitality, the orchestration brilliant. Unhappily, only three months after its production in Paris, the genial composer died suddenly of heart trouble. His early death, he was no more than 37, robbed the French school of one of its brightest ornaments, one who had infused in the drame lyrique of Gounod and Thomas the vivifying breath of dramatic truth. The later development of French operatic romanticism in Massonet and others, as well as Saint-Saëns' revival of the classic model, are more fitly reserved for future consideration. Our present object has been to describe the development of the drame lyrique out of the older comic opera, and in a manner this culminates in Carmen. 4 we have still to give an account of the development of the opera comique in another direction, that of farcical comedy, a task which falls well within the chronological limits of this chapter. One reason for the gradual approximation of the opera comique to the drame lyrique and grand opera, quite aside from the influence of Romanticism, lay in the appearance of the opera bouffe representing parody, not sentiment. For if the opera comique and drame lyrique of the first three quarters of the 19th century represented the advance of artistic taste and the preference of the musically educated, for the essentially romantic, rather than the merely entertaining, the opera bouffe or farcical operetta, a small and trivial form was the delight of the musical groundlings of the Second Empire, at a time when the pursuit of pleasure and the satisfaction of material wants were the great preoccupations of society. Jacques Offenbach, 1819-1880, was, in a sense, the creator of this Parisian novelty. Though Offenbach was born of German-Jewish parents in Cologne, the greater part of his life was spent in Paris and his music was more typically French than that of any of his French rivals. The tone of French society during the period of the Second Empire was set by the court. The court organised innumerable entertainments, banquets, reviews, and gorgeous official ceremonies which succeeded one another without interruption. Music hall songs and opera bouffe, races and public festivals, evening restaurants and the amusements they had provided made the fame of this new Paris. And the music of the music halls and Opéra Bouffe was the music of Offenbach, the offspring of an eccentric, rather short-kilted and dishevelled muse who later assumed a soberer garb in the hands of Lecoq, Audrin and Hervé. In conjunction with Offenbach, The librettists Maillac and Ludovic Alevi were the authors of these operettes and farces, which made the prosperity of the minor Parisian theatres of the period. The libretto of the opera bouffe was usually one of intrigue, witty, if coarse, and into the texture of which the representation of contemporary whims and social oddities was cleverly interwoven. Although the opera bouffe were broad and lively libels of the society of the time, they savoured strongly of the vices and the follies they were supposed to satirise. Offenbach was peculiarly happy in developing in musical burlesque the extravagant character of his situations. His melodic vein, though often trivial and vulgar, Was facile and spontaneous, and he was master of an ironical musical humor. The theatre, which he opened as the Bouffe Parisienne in 1855, was crowded night after night by those who came to hear his brilliant humorous trifles. La Grande Duchesse de Gerolstein, in which the triumph of the Bouffe Parisienne culminated, is perhaps the most popular. Burlesque operetta ever written, and it marked the acceptance of opera bouffe as a new form worth cultivating. Offenbach's works were given all over Europe, were imitated by Lecoq, Audrin, Planquette, and others, and, being gay, tuneful, and exhilarating, were not hindered in becoming popular by their want of refinement. But after 1870, the vogue of parody largely declined, and, though Offenbach composed industriously till the time of his death, and though his opéra bouffe are still given here and there at intervals, the form he created has practically passed away. As a species akin in verbal texture to the comédie cuivrois of Collet, adapted to the idiom of a later generation, and as a return of the opera comique to the burlesque and extravagance of the old vaudeville, the opera bouffe has a genuine historic interest. But it must not be forgotten that Offenbach created at least one work which is still a favourite number of the modern grand opera repertory. This is Les Comtes d'Offmann, a fantastic opera in three acts. It appeared after his death... It is genuine opera comique of the romantic type, rich in pleasing grace of expression, in variety of melodic development and grotesque fancy, and, though the music lacks depth, it is descriptive and imaginatively interesting, wonderfully charming and melodious, and has survived when the hundred or more opera bouffe, which Offenbach composed, practically forgotten. FHM End of section 27